Diana White. First carol in the book, Angels from the Realms of Glory, Wing Your Flight o'er All the Earth. Ye who sang creation's story, now proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn king. Number one. Angels from the realms of glory. Yeah. 
try number seven again. <clears throat> number seven. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with the angelic host proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Number seven. Hark the herald angels sing,
may find a place in the hearts and minds of each person here. We pray for thy blessing and salvation. We pray that men and women may come to understand their need personally of having Christ as Savior. And we ask for thy blessing now as we read thy word together in the Savior's precious name. Amen. Amen. Would you turn please to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. At verse 1. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, Caesar Augustus was the uh, considered the nephew of Julius Caesar. His first name actually was Octavius. He is the first emperor of Rome. The Republic ended, he became emperor, he is the first emperor, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto a city of David which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Some of the Christmas carols are so old that it is practically impossible to get much background information about them, and that is the case with tonight's carol, While Shepherds Watch Their Flocks by Night. However, here is what we do know. The carol was written by Nahum Tate, who was born in Dublin and graduated from Trinity College in Dublin. In 1692, during the reign of William and Mary, he was appointed England's sixth poet laureate and became royal historiographer in 1702. His carol first appeared in a hymn book in 1700, and it was the only Christmas hymn to be approved by the Church of England during the 18th century. And that is likely because it is almost practically, word for word, a transcription of what happened in Luke chapter 2, what we have read. I'm not sure that there's another Christmas carol that has so many tunes to which it is sung. I think there are seven different tunes, one of which was arranged by Handel, none of which you good people know. The Bible passage they have taken sites or quotes played a role in something more modern and somewhat secular. In 1965, plans were underway to produce a children's program called Charlie Brown's Christmas Special with music by pianist Vince Girold. It involved the characters from Charles Schultz's well-known Peanuts comic strip. When the CBS network executives first watched it, they were less than pleased. They watched it in stony silence and afterwards said, well, you gave it a good try. 
The only reason they went ahead with plans to care it was because it was already scheduled to run the next week. They said, we'll play it once and that'll be it. The producer and the director felt they had ruined Charlie Brown forever. The agent from the ad agency representing Coca-Cola thought it was a disaster. He said, this isn't very good. Charles Schultz himself thought the whole project as well was a disaster due to what he thought was crude animation. One big thing adding to all this negative opinion was that CBS executives were worried about the religious content of the show and expected angry phone calls and letters from the public. They were horrified at the idea of an animated Christmas special with such a blatant message. The script included a climactic speech in which Linus delivered an onstage explanation of the true meaning of Christmas. He would recite the story of Jesus' birth from the account in Luke chapter two. Both the producer and the director tried to talk Charles Schultz out of using biblical references, especially Linus' speech. They argued that religion had to be kept out of primetime entertainment. But Schultz was insistent. He said, we can't avoid it. And he added, if we don't do it, who will? Instead of a disaster, the program was a resounding success. Almost half of the viewing public watched the first airing of that special. People said they were touched by the simple story and they loved the original music. They found the quiet animation perfect for the characters and they declared the program a classic after that very first show. Newspaper critics wrote positive reviews. It would go on to win a Peabody and an Emmy for outstanding children's program. It has been repeated at least once every year since its original broadcast, passing its 50th anniversary just a short time ago. It is the longest running animated TV special in history. Now, this is what I want to point out to you. In the Charlie Brown Christmas special, Charlie Brown asks with something of exasperation, is there anybody who knows what Christmas is all about? And Linus says he does, and he quotes from Luke chapter two. He steps out onto the stage, and he says that we're in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign. You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Linus then walks back over to Charlie Brown and gently says, That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Next time you watch it, Notice this. Linus always has hold of a security blanket. He cannot function without this blanket that he holds on to all the time. You will never see him without his security blanket. But something happens on that stage that only happens once. He's holding his blanket. He begins to quote Luke chapter 2. They were in the same country shepherds abiding uh, in the fields, watching over their flocks by night. And when he gets to the angel's words, Fear not, he drops his blanket. Only double, he drops his blanket. It is as though he has found something that makes him secure and he doesn't need his blanket anymore. Christ has come. It made me reflect on the fact that although I never carried a security blanket, the moment I trusted Christ, my greatest fears evaporated. The fear of meeting God and my sins. 
the fear of missing heaven, the fear of dying in my sins, the fear of ending in hell, the fear of being left when the Lord returned. All that ended when Christ saved me by his grace. If you catch the true meaning of Christmas, why Christ came, to die on a cross so that you could be saved, you will find your greatest fear swallowed up by the hope, assurance, and blessing of having Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you to focus for just a few minutes on the message that the angels delivered to the shepherds. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I want you to think first of all about that angelic announcement. And notice, please, the prophecy that was fulfilled. Centuries before, well over 700 years before, Isaiah the prophet said, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And here now, when the angel makes this announcement, it is as though he is announcing, it's happening. He's here. The prophecy has been fulfilled. Micah actually prophesied the very town where Jesus would be born, Bethlehem. And as you know, the entire Roman Empire was in transit. Everybody was moving. Everybody was going back to their original towns where they were born because they had to be enrolled for taxation. So the entire empire is on the move, all imagining it's because Augustus Caesar has made this decree and not realizing that it was all so that the Son of God would be born where God said he would be born, in Bethlehem of Judah. The prophecy was fulfilled. God's word is a remarkable book. There's no book like it. But I want you to think about the pronouns. Because you see, Isaiah wrote, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. But when the angel speaks to the shepherds, the angel doesn't say, unto us is born this day in the city of David a savior. He has to say, unto you, unto you. And in fact, when birth announcements are generally made, the parents are involved. You would say to, to Joseph, to Mary, of course Joseph wasn't involved, but you mentioned the, the people involved, and you would say to Mary, a child was born this day. But the angel doesn't say that. The angel says, unto you, unto you. Do you know why the angel couldn't say unto us? Because Christ didn't come to die for angels. As far as we know from the Bible, there are likely two rebellions that involved angels. One rebellion was led by Lucifer, who was the devil, and angels that followed him were cast out of heaven. Another rebellion was led by angels that have been consigned to a place called Tartarus, and they are in chains of darkness until the day of judgment. The angels that come cannot say, the Savior is born for us. He has to say, the Savior is born for you. And finally, notice the people. The announcement is made to shepherds. Not to noblemen, not to titled lords. Notice the names that are being involved. The Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus. This is the man that defeated Mark Antony and Cleopatra. Octavius' forces, um, he was once in league with Mark Antony, and then when, when basically Mark Antony wanted the slice of the kingdom, Octavius goes to battle against him and defeats him. Octavius took the name Augustus. Caesar Augustus, after Julius Caesar, who had been assassinated. Caesar Augustus did not claim to be God. He did a very clever thing. He said his father was God, his adopted father, Julius Caesar. So he deified Caesar after Caesar was born. Well, if he deified his adopted father, what did that make him? 
He was taking the place of being the son of God. But against the background of a man like that, the true son of God comes into the world. When you come to chapter 3, you'll see it again. There's a whole list of names. And you'll read about the, the high priest, and Pontius Pilate, and then by that time Tiberius Caesar, and Philip, and, and the Syrian governor Quirinius, and then it says the word of God came to John. Bypassing all of those great mighty people coming to John. Here, the announcement is made to shepherds in the field. Do you know that God has an interest in you no matter who you are? Your picture may never appear on the Hartford Current or the New York Times. There may be no articles written about you. Nobody's going to be following you, perhaps, to find out what you think about something. You may be considered just an ordinary, average, everyday kind of a person. God thinks that you are someone he loves and wants to save. God is interested in every human being. I read some time ago the biography of a missionary to Africa named Crawford Allison. And he was speaking to the natives one day, and he happened just peripherally, he happened to notice some movement, and he thought that there's somebody there listening. And when he was done and the other people left, out from the shadows there came a man. He was a leper, he had leprosy. He was horribly disformed, disfigured. And he came to the missionary and he said to him, look at my hands and my feet. He said, I'm a leper. My family has thrown me out. Nobody wants anything to do with me. I listened to what you said. Tell me, is it true? Did Jesus really come for somebody like me? Crawford Allison, I love the, 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 the term that he used. He, he said, I told him about the healer of broken hearts and the gatherer of the outcasts. I told him about a savior who loves everyone and provides salvation for everybody. And the, the man said to him, in Ghana, which is something like sir or master, he said, this is, this is oil to my heart, what you're telling me. Please tell me more. And so he said, I told him about the great gatherer of the outcasts, the savior of sinners. Now, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, God loves you. And Christ came to die for you so that you could be saved. And when you watch an announcement like this being made to shepherds, you realize God has an interest in everybody. But I want you to think finally about the significant setting here. That the announcement was made to shepherds watching their sheep. And what makes this so significant is that the Lord Jesus called himself the good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And he described you and me as being like sheep. Sheep are helpless creatures. They're helpless creatures. Sheep can't find their way back. I've known dogs who have run away. I've read stories of dogs who have run away. I remember, I remember reading about a, a truck driver. He was crossing um, on uh, Interstate 80 or 90. He was, he was, he was crossing through um, Indiana and he stopped by the roadside to let his dog have a run. And every other time, the dog came back. This time it did. Now, the truck driver's on a schedule. He's, he's got to get to where he's going. He's got to get there by a certain time. 
So he searched and searched. He called, and I think the dog's name was Jesse. He called. Nothing. He was broken heart. Climbed up into his tractor. Took off. Left his dog. Half a year later, hundreds of miles away from where the dog had parted from his master, Jesse came trotting in to the yard of the house where he lived. How did he find his way back? I don't know. But a sheep can't find its way around the corner. If it's lost, it's lost. And it needs somebody to go after it and find it and bring it back because it has no homing ability. Now the Bible says that you and I have gone astray like sheep that are lost. The Bible has pointed out that we're helpless, that we're lost, that we have gone astray, that we need somebody to save us, that if Christ had not come as the good shepherd, we would have perished forever. I think it was 2012 in Turkey, the country of Turkey. 1,500 sheep. 1,500 sheep walked off a cliff following the sheep ahead. 1,100 sheep did not die because the first 400 that fell over the cliff died. And a pile of bodies cushioned the fall of the others. 1,500 following blindly over the cliff because they're sheep. That's what God says about you and me. We blindly follow the wrong thing. We imagine that sin is good and we think that, that we're in control and that, that we're doing what we want to do and all the time. We have been blinded and we are lost and we need to be saved. The Lord Jesus said the good shepherd gives his life sheep. You see, sheep need a shepherd. It's not a luxury. It's not something that is added and then it really helps the sheep. It's absolutely essential. Now the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus came as the good shepherd. He came fulfilling prophecy. He came at the exact time. I was, I was just reading a, a few months ago. Um, I, I, had, I read something about this before, but I was amazed at the, the description that was given that the network of roads, highways, that the Roman Empire had built was thought to be a miracle. People had never imagined, they had never imagined that there would be such ease of travel as there was when the Roman Empire built their highway system, built their roads. It was the equivalent, someone said, of here, us in the United States in the 1960s, building the interstate highway system so that there were actually large roads on which we could travel. And in the fullness of the time, the Lord Jesus came so that the gospel would be spread easily, so that language would be able to communicate the message of the gospel. And so the Lord Jesus came to Bethlehem. And he came to Bethlehem so that he could go to a place called Calvary. Anybody know what he was going to do at Calvary? Danny, do you know what he was going to do at Calvary? What was he going to do? Die for us. He was going to die for us on a cross. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own. And I'll take it again. So that when he nailed the nails through his hands and feet, he was still as almighty as when he was on his throne up in heaven. But he was allowing that to happen. 
He was allowing that to happen because he wanted to save you. I read of a tornado in a place called Joplin, Missouri some years ago. And uh, it was, it, it's a, tornadoes are very unpredictable. They can, they can uh, rip a house off the foundation across the street and never touch the house here. They, 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 there's no way of plotting where the destruction will be. But this woman said she was in her house. Her husband grabbed her, threw her into the uh, bathtub and covered her with his body as their house was falling apart all around them. And the debris that was raining down, she could feel it smashing into his body as he was covering her. And when the storm finally passed, he was dead and she was alive. He had died covering her, protecting her. The way she put it was, on my worst day, I remember that I was loved. That somebody actually loved me enough that he would die to save me. That's what happened at Calvary. That the Lord Jesus loved you enough to die on the cross so that you could be saved. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. You know, he also said, or is called in the Bible, not just the good shepherd, but he is the great shepherd. He rose from the dead. He's up in heaven. He's sitting on his throne. Christians are not worshiping a dead savior. But the Lord Jesus alive on the throne. And as the great shepherd, he's the one who cares for his sheep every day. So that when a person is saved, they're not left to themselves. When a person is saved, they're not left to just whatever life throws at them. The savior is there to care for them. That is why David said in the most famous of all the Psalms, Psalm 23, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I will have no want. I'll have no need of anything else because the Lord is my shepherd. And because Christ has died and been raised from the dead, the Bible says he is able to save to the uttermost. Do you know how Psalm 23 ends? Psalm 23 ends with David saying that he would dwell in the shepherd's house. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. People who have trusted Christ know that they're going to be with them forever. I used to, I used to be very welcome in a home in a place called Solon, Ohio. There was a lovely couple, an older couple that lived there, and I stayed with them many, many times when I was having meetings, weeks on end. And then she died. The next time I went back for a meeting, he said, no, 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 no. He said, you come. He said, please, stay with me. He was in his 80s then. And I had the upstairs room, and he insisted on doing the cooking, and he asked me to do the driving back and forth to meeting. And I enjoyed being with him. Then he died. Now, I'm no longer welcome in that home. If I go, if I go to that home in Solon, Ohio, and knock on the door, the people aren't going to say, oh, glad to see you. Come on in. Your room's upstairs. The home is close to me now. Christians have a home that will never be close to them. They'll always be welcome there. They're going to spend eternity there with the, with the shepherd, with the Lord Jesus. And if you trust him tonight, you will have the assurance that you will be in heaven with him forever. In fact, the Bible calls the Lord Jesus the chief shepherd because it's looking on to the moment when he will come and he will call his people to himself. So the Christians have a bright future before them and a certain future. They know, they know what the future is. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. I have no idea what's going to happen an hour from now. I know exactly where I'm going to be 100 years from now. I'm going to be with Christ. 
I know exactly where I'm going to be a thousand years from now. I'm going to be with the Lord Jesus. That's certain. That's assured. It'll never end. Sometimes you're looking for something to come. Sometimes, I, you know, there's a trip planned, or you're going to go somewhere, or something. You just can't wait till the day comes, and then it's over so quick. It's like school, the school year. The school year drags, and the summer flies, and it's quickly over. And things come and go so quickly. Sometimes they don't live up to what you thought they were going to be like. But here's something. Here's something that is better than the highest imagination we've ever had to live forever with God in heaven. The shepherds heard this announcement. A Savior is born to you. He's Christ the Lord. And they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill to men. I, I don't know what your mental picture of this is. I would think when I was a boy that I imagined shepherds down here on the ground and an angel up in the sky, hovering in the sky, and speaking to them. But see, I noticed that so many times in the Bible when angels spoke, it was just as though somebody approached just here. So there must have been something awe-inspiring, because almost every time an angel appeared, the first thing he had to say to a human being was, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. So there must be something overwhelming about these creatures that God has made. But when the Bible was translated, there was a word that meant something back then that doesn't mean that today so much. And we don't catch the meaning of what's being said. You see, because it says, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. And now, 2019, Host and multitude mean the same thing. They didn't. They didn't when the Bible was written. And they didn't when the translation was made. Because what it really means is there was a multitude of the heavenly battalion, the heavenly army, the host of the Lord. God filled the plains that day in front of those shepherds with an army of angels to announce that his son had been born. And the message was peace on earth. Goodwill, not, not bad will, not God wanting to punish, but goodwill toward man. So let me close by just mentioning a very famous event in history. 1914, the United States had not yet gotten involved in World War I. So American soldiers were not involved in this. They were German, British, uh, and I believe even French were involved. Christmas Eve came. So all through December, people in these trenches, and if you put your head up, there were sharpshooters, there were snipers trying to kill you, and they're shooting at each other. And then Christmas Eve came. And somebody on the German side began to sing a Christmas carol. And somebody on the British side took up in English the same Christmas carol. And then there was more singing. And then one German soldier with no rifle, with his hands up, came out and walked between the trenches into the middle 
and a British soldier came out and met him. And then more British soldiers came out and more German soldiers came out. And on Christmas Day, it was the Christmas truce of 1914. No fighting, except for very rare spots along a 600-mile front. No fighting. They exchanged gifts, what they had of supplies, Germans and British. They played a game of what they call football, soccer, out right there in the battlefield. Germans won, by the way, I think it was two to one. They played soccer. We have letters that soldiers wrote back home about this. Let me read you a couple excerpts. Private William Tapp wrote, wrote this. It doesn't seem right to be killing each other at Christmas time. Why? Why? No, nobody ever says, you know, tomorrow is Muhammad's birthday. I don't think we should really be fighting. Nobody says, you know, George Washington was, was born tomorrow. It's, it's, it's his birthday. Let's, let's, let's stop the fighting. What is there about the coming of the Lord Jesus into the world that makes people say, it just doesn't seem right to be killing at Christmas time? There was a letter written. It's a famous letter by one soldier that has these lines in it. About 1030, we had a short church parade held in the trench. How we did sing while shepherds watched their flocks by night. They did it too. And over the battlefield, they sang. About the night when angels announced to shepherds in the field that the Savior was born. If you trust that Savior tonight, your peace won't be just one day. It won't be a truce for Christmas. It won't be just a 24-hour period of peace. You will have peace with God forever if you trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Shall we pray? Father, we bow at the close of the meeting to thank thee for the Savior, the Son of God. There are no words we can use to properly praise him for what he has done. His death and resurrection have brought life and incorruptibility to light through the gospel. He has made it possible for each of these dear girls and boys to be saved and be in heaven forever. And we pray for them that they will trust Christ, that while they're young, they will come to know the great joy of the forgiveness of sins. Take us to our homes in safety, we pray. We give thanks in the Savior's worthy and precious name. Amen. Amen. We're going to try just a couple verses of number 21. While shepherds watched their flocks by night, all seated on the ground, the angel of the Lord came down and glory shone around. We'll sing verses 1, 2, and then the last verse, hopefully, we'll sing just those three verses. 1, 2, and the last verse. While shepherds watched their flocks by night, all seated on the
Svet.